This is not my normal speaking voice. <laughs> Welcome to Normal Speaking Voice. Good morning, everyone. This is the Machination Log for whatever day it is. This is David Paddock speaking to my left across from me. We've got Nicole. Yes, and it is not morning, man. It's getting late here. Not at all. But let's not break the magic, Ryan <laughs> Riley. It's the movie crew After Dark. It's <laughs> the After Dark edition. Not only After Dark, but also in the super echoey room. So if this sounds like trash, blame, uh, that's, blame David. That's that's my fault. Like always, it's, they call it, Jocko Willen calls that extreme ownership, and uh, I will take it over the situation. David, discipline is freedom. That is true enough. Um, that essay will be out by the time this is out. But in any case, um, so we were going to cover one movie if. Uh, anyone was listening they would know that nebraska was our pick but it turns out there was another film that was close enough to nebraska in style <laughs> if not in time and tone tone that we uh we, we just decided to throw that one on there and that one is the straight story by david lynch which makes that our lynch pick <laughs> um it's kind of an interesting one um uh, just to get it out of the way um nebraska is a um it's it's a film from 2013 it stars what's the guy's bruce name dern bruce dern and will forte will bruce forte. dern and will forte oh, and bob uh, odenkirk bob, bob odenkirk yeah <laughs> he's in there which is a little interesting at this exact point in history with better call saul going on but bruce dern plays woody uh, who's an old man with a plan, and he is unperturbable. He makes his way from Billings, Montana, to Lincoln, Nebraska, in pursuit of a million-dollar sweepstakes prize, which he almost certainly has not won. Um, stay tuned to find out whether he actually, in fact, wins this. Uh, it is the primary tension of the film. Um, the Straight Story, by contrast, is... What's the guy's name? He is uh, Richard, Richard Farnsworth, Farnsworth. Uh, who plays... Alvin Strait, mm-hmm. who yep. is on his way to reunite with his brother of many, many years. Yes, he has not seen his brother in they, over a decade. They had a falling out. Yes. They did. And um, Alvin is going to try to make amends with a final odyssey on a tractor from where are these two oh, places? Oh, yes. He goes, okay, so in the straight story, we are traveling from Iowa to Wisconsin. In Nebraska... We are traveling from Billings, Montana to Lincoln, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Now, dear podcast listeners, I'm sure you've heard of all of these places, but like us, you've almost certainly never been, never been <laughs> driven through or, or even fl- flown over <laughs> these places. Um, that's because these are part of the genuine American heartland and heritage that you hear so much about on television. That's right. And it turns out that in both of these places... Um, there's really not a whole lot of excuse to stop by. Mm-hmm. Um, they all look the same, uh, judging from the drive-by footage in both both movies. Yeah, the straight story takes place 14 years before Nebraska does. They both take place in quote-unquote modern day. Straight story was 1999. Nebraska was 2013. Well, it should be said, too, that they're very diverse places. They have both Protestants and Lutherans. That I guess. <laughs> oh no! Well, in Nebraska, in Nebraska, that. the wife was a Catholic. Oh, very good. That's yeah. true. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So there, you know, there's there's plenty going on here. Yeah, um, they got a as, movie theater as far as do like, they two screens. Yeah, there are trailers. There's log cabins. There, there's a lot of cabins going on. A lot, a lot of bars. Of, a lot of corn. Yeah, a lot of corn. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of tractors. A lot of yeah. A lot of blue jeans. A lot of blue jeans. And a hell of a lot of senile old people just 
having a time. Yes. So the straight story was pitched to me in a way that I feel I, I have a bone to pick because everyone who watched Nebraska and we watched it as a group, as a family, um, <laughs> as is our want, with the exception of me and Jacob. And I won't read into why this is too much just yet, but both Jacob and I really like Nebraska and find it to generally be an uplifting film. And no one else around the couch agreed with us. So the straight story was pulled in as an example of what Nebraska would look like in a more hopeful setting. In, right. in, I want to bring up this point. In a pre-9-11 setting, when life was simpler. Mm -hmm. uh, we can come back to that as well. But I feel like I was lied to because, to be quite honest, the straight story feels more dour to me than Nebraska does. Yeah. There is something about the way, and we'll, we'll get into this, but the, sort of my, uh, my take on this, and this will be my evaluation of the two films up front, is that I might need to seize the straight story one more time just to like absorb more of the Lynch flavor, since this is, I think, the first Lynch movie I've yeah. ever seen. But it's not a good example to Lynch. That's, that's fine. But it's also his best movie. <laughs> the Eternal <laughs> Paradox. Um, it's always a paradox with Lynch. The, the straight story follows a World War II veteran in a tale of redemption. And I find all of that to be incredibly depressing. I mean, his time on the tractor is a result of him being impoverished, but literally impoverished in his means of even communicating with his own family. Whereas in Nebraska, Woody, in what is just... It is, one, it is one of my favorite scenes in a movie now. Mm -hmm. In the very beginning, the very first shot is a foreshortened expedition of Woody traveling along a highway along train tracks. And a policeman doesn't pull him over because a policeman would not <laughs> dare literally pull over an old white man like Woody. But asks where, where he's going. Just kind of pulls up next to him. Asks where he's going. And Woody vaguely references the area toward the camera just points at it and puts his hand back down and says, and then the police officer says, where are you, where are you from? Mm -hmm. And he just vaguely points behind him. Yeah. And that sentiment is beautiful. Mm -hmm. Like I love that sentiment. Whereas in the straight story, uh, the Nebraska is one, one out of one stars in the straight story. Again, I guess I already, I, I, I sort of already wrapped up what I wanted to say about the straight story, at least initially um, is that his, his trek has such a making up for lost time feel to it that is incredibly sad to me mm -hmm. in a way that Nebraska is just not. Um, you guys are free to disagree with me though, and you both have the floor, whichever one wants to. I go do first. understand your point. I just, but I feel like straight story I find more like genuinely heartwarming. And his journey is sad because this guy is in terrible shape, which mm -hmm. is part of the reason he is driving a, a tractor, you know three states over to go visit his brother in Wisconsin. But, you know, we're in a similar situation with Woody. Um, Woody has to have his son drive him to Lincoln because he can't drive the, the truck by himself. So both of these old men are disabled and not able to, you know, drive themselves. You know, but, like, Woody... You know, like Alvin, oh God, I had it like, 
Just, like Alvin, just start at the high level Yeah, first. like Alvin has to finish this journey. Like he is going to get there whether it fucking kills him or not. Like Woody is going to drag his family on this journey whether it's going to kill them or not. Uh, what I'm saying is their base motivations are very, very different. And that's what separates the two movies for me. So I think the other thing too is the... Um you know the the style of filmmaking in both uh, in both of these. Um, you know any sort of Lynch film is going to have uh, a kind of like overstylization in it, and we were ju- we we're teasing because at the in the first thirty minutes or so, as as the uh, story winds up into this, uh, and it's you know, a slow start. Yeah, this well, it winds up into this into this cross, you know, this multi-state trek on a John Deere four miles per hour towing a a, a, a ranky homemade trailer um it leads into this journey but in that lead up there's these you know lynchian type moments where you know his auteur and you know bizarrely artistic sensibilities really shine through and the telling of what is and i've got to be frank with you probably the only g-rated film i have seen in the last 20 years (laughs) so you um you have this very simple earnest story being told in a way that it is not meant to con- convey uh, overtly any of the harshness and difficulty difficulties that the condition of its character portends. Nebraska is a rated R movie because it is a, it is about a salty, indignant motherfucker who is suffering from the first stages of senility and essentially has his own son take pity upon him to usher him into his goal. Um, the, the, differ- the, the difference in feel and tone between the two films has parallels, um, but then I find wildly diverge from each other as, the, as, the, as we lead to the film's uh, endings and progressions. So I, I, before I get into those, about di- my own digressions about where these things end up, um, let's maybe kind of talk a little bit more and set the stage in terms of maybe like characters, um, you know, basic story elements that kind of de- demonstrate the characters uh, themselves uh, before I kind of get into my overall, you know, climactic ending about what <laughs> I, I think the two differences are in these things. But I will say this from the outset. I think both films are very, very, very good. Like very, very good. I think Nebraska, in its own way, is is quite in, uh, it, fucking enjoyable in its in, in its. I did in its enjoy time. it on the second watch. And and the hum <laughs> the humor of it, I find to be very um, uh, slicing and biting and insightful in in a lot of ways. And the, um and then I find that there's a certain degree as well a lot of honesty in these films. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to maybe talk about that as well as the actors themselves are portraying people in their later years are themselves in their later years uh, as. Trite as it would seem to be, honesty really is sort of the, I think it is the overarching principle of these odysseys. Once you get to be that old, the lies, the lies that have accreted over your life, have, they just sort of crystallize into the person that you've become. Absolutely. Yeah. And so honesty is all that you're left with mm-hmm. um, at some point, because you get to see it mm-hmm. on their faces and in the way that they talk. Um, so uh, let's cover the characters real quick. In the straight story, um, there aren't there aren't too many characters yeah. that are constant in the straight story. We'll get into them as the plot progresses. And I think for this particular set of movies, I think basically just covering the main uh, family. Op- well, covering the main family for the story or for the characters for the story. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think there are specific roadblocks in each of their ways that we can sort of stop and okay. compare. I think that would probably be the best way to do this. Lead on. Yeah, but in the straight story, we have Alvin, uh, mm-hmm. who is the elderly World War II veteran, um, and his daughter Rose, yes. uh, who is mentally disabled in one form or another, uh, played by Sissy Spacek. Um, you don't see Alvin's brother until the very, very end of the movie. There are a handful of characters that show up along the way. That he runs into along, but they're just characters on the way. He is on journey. a sojourn. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he is. And so it's inherently episodic in character. Yeah, he's only seeing these people for the little bit that they interact specifically with them. By contrast, Nebraska is interesting because even though it is a arduous trek, it really only has three stages. It is the initiation the embarking on the journey, making it to what is Hawthorne. The, uh, Hawthorne is the city yeah. in the middle. Yeah, Hawthorne, where, where like all the family grew up. Yeah, it's a purgatory practically. <laughs> exactly. No, where his past confronts him too. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and it should be said, Nebraska is entirely in black and white. Yes. Um, that's not just a, the desaturated colors yeah, of Iowa. Straight story is in glorious, unfocused Technicolor. <laughs> it is in very Disney Technicolor. <laughs> um, but the characters in Nebraska are uh, Bruce Stern plays Woody. Will Forte plays his son, mm-hmm. a t- totally ineffectual child. Mm-hmm. Um, June Squibb plays um, Woody's wife, who is... What was her name again? Her, uh, Kate. 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 Okay. Kate um, Acerbic. I, I really yeah. like... Yeah, she's a, she's a city girl. Um, and the way that that comes across in the movie is... <laughs> and she's is, been putting up with Woody's shit for a long time. For 20 years too long. Yeah, terribly... Terribly interesting character, that one. And um, the only other character I think I would mention on this list is probably uh, Stacy Keach, who plays Ed Pegram. Oh, yes. the Keacher. Oh, yeah. good stuff. Yeah. yeah, he is the he is the adversary, if yeah. there is one in this mm-hmm. in this film. The, the villain, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but from there, uh, so let's let's open this up. Let's start. I, I want to start with the straight story because mm-hmm. it's earlier. Okay. Um, so the straight story opens on a uh, beautiful. Lynchian jib shot. Uh, um, we pan craning, from space. Yeah, from space on down, 20 feet in the air, 10 feet in the air, lowering down. Um, one of you is going to have to take the reins on this because, again, my, my feelings for this film are not enough to compel. Okay. <laughs> to compel a plot rendition of what so, happened. So, yeah, so we pull out from space, basically, all the way down into Alvin's house. And this is a, a recurring motif throughout it, um, because the there's kind of like this concept of stars that brings Alvin closer to his brother that yes. he brings up later. And, and the stars are, are kind of like a focal point that the movie keeps resetting to uh, mm-hmm. at various points. Um, but, of course, you know, this is... This is a huge palatial shot just to basically go into a, a small house with a lady sitting in the lawn. Sunning sun, herself. Sunning herself. These are, these are pretty poor-looking houses. Um, mm-hmm. It's not a... This is, City folk might call these people trailer trash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're not trailers, but these are old houses. Uh, and there's this, uh, and then we go into the house, and we see Alvin on the floor, and then we get our first taste of just kind of Lynchian absurdity because mm-hmm. we get the lady from outside sunbathing comes in and just starts screaming at Alvin, mm-hmm. and then like another neighbor comes in and just starts screaming at Alvin, and then we get introduced to his daughter, who's like, "What did you all do to my 
dad, dad. And mm-hmm. Alvin's still just like laying on the floor. Nobody has helped him up. Perfectly yet. composed. Perfectly with composed. A, 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 accepted of a situation. And then with all these three people screaming around him, he finally has to like, you know, take control of the situation and basically get up and tell everyone he's okay. Um, but basically, it, yeah. right from the get-go, we are establishing that Alvin is in poor health. Yes. Yeah, and uh, we're also establishing a trope that, for as unlynchian as this film is supposed to be, I've read a lot about Lynch, and um, this this film exemplifies one of his one of his primary characteristics that he he has absolutely no regard for the discomfort of his audience. That's correct. He mm-hmm. will linger on a shot for oh, yeah. as long as he wants, yeah. to, no matter how tense it is, no matter how sad or angry or awkward. Yeah, there's an awkward amount of screaming in this whole exchange. Well, and and you part know. of part of the Lynchian genius, and I'm not using that word lightly here, right? Like part of the Lynchian <laughs> genius is to is to get his audience to a point where they can click off the 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 established or normal way that they view films mm-hmm. right he will present them with the unconventional in a, in a way that is both subtle and yet reaches a point to where you have to either walk out of the movie uncompleted or accept him into your into your head or just accept the paradox yeah because that's what it is well accept accept the fact that the that what that what happens will happen for reasons that you will not be revealed to you Mm. and in the way that this film that he he does it very subtly in this film in, in a way that is accessible because this film is up for oscars in fact won oscars right and most lynch films other than early on in his career stopped winning oscars we have to recognize, I think one of the key things here too is that part of what Lynch does is by lingering on shots um, over uh, to, to a high degree, by showing visual representations and by these almost absurd music cues. I mean, the, the music in his films um, where they uh, are so heartfelt as to be used in telenovelas, you know, or to be used in as like introducing um, what are they, the soap operas or something. I mean, they're it's almost like it's like yeah, this weird kind of like sensual jazz. Yeah, music. and they're 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 not they're not even kitsch. They're so no. they're so ridiculous, and yet um, they are used in a way that that can you know kind of di- you know we can distance ourselves from our expectations in films. And the second way that he does this, just real quickly here, is um, the visual way that he re- that he transitions between scenes and relays information. So the best joke in the film is when he is initially trying to take this trip on his tractor, it turns out his old tractor is broken and dead. And there's a great scene where um, he's dealing with this situation, but it's handled in the kitchen between his daughter and the neighbor and his daughter's conveying uh, because she has a speech impediment and difficult in communicating, you know, it forces her words to be delayed. You know, she has to really work to get them out almost like a stutter. And there's a great timing on the joke where, you know, they're talking about what he's trying to do. And in between her inability to communicate what his next plan is, Alvin himself walks in and out of the kitchen holding a shotgun. And then the moment hangs and then, after the shot rings, she then answers the question yeah. that was asked before of it. It's very, it's very, it's very <laughs> hilarious. And there are these bizarre little moments in a lot of his films where so much story happens with virtually so little occurring. And this will be this. When, the more you watch Lynch films, you're just struck by how how much depth happens with so little act seeming to occur. It is the, it is the most incredible thing. And 
Why I think that's important for the context of what we're talking about here is that, in essence, the larger themes that we're dealing with here about films about old people mm-hmm. is the intensity of decline that happens to people, the um, de- the dealing with mortality that is that is closer than it ever has been for someone, right? And that and the way that someone copes with that, and then second, and then finally the way in which one reconciles who they were with what they are now. And all three of those things is inherently disembodying to someone who's not experiencing it. I mean, we, we all know we're getting older, right? And it's like, you know, some of us quicker than others, you know, and like, but at that, you know, it's, it's like that, that, um, that paradox by degree, at which point are you old Mm -hmm. and, you know, like approaching it and thinking about it, it never really happens. And by watching a movie about old people, it registers in a way that both films handle very, very well. And I think that this is one of the part of the most interesting and enjoyable things is that it not only approaches it with a certain degree of humor, but that that humor is a part almost of coping with that reality. And it's fucking very well handled in all cases. That's one of the reasons why I think the stray story is a substantially sadder mm-hmm. story than Nebraska is that Woody has fully internalized his age. Okay. Absolutely. Woody, I see. Woody is, if not oblivious to is certainly not resisting the notion that he is an old man. Whereas in the straight story, one of the first scenes involves Alvin going to the doctor and the doctor saying, it's like, dude, you're dying. Yes. Like you are in serious trouble. And if you don't change everything about the way you live, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to be dead before I see you again. You need to be using a walker. But you he's need to also, be doing- but he's also so old. Like that might be the case just anyways. It's not like he can reverse time <laughs> at this point. Like and, he's pretty far gone. And as a result, what Alvin tries to do instead is just be his older self. He doesn't, you know, he continues to smoke and drink and he uses two canes now instead of one. Like he doesn't, ch- he changes absolutely nothing about who he yeah, is. Yeah, absolutely. And that is, I understand how that can be seen as an affirming thing um but i uh for whatever reason i'm not wired to believe in that kind of optimism no i would i would maybe say that the the best optimism is that in, for alvin his his dignity is implicit in the method of his journey right like the straight story is alvin you know taking that path Uncomp- in an uncompromising and fashion. And he lets people know that along the way because there's plenty of people that think he's crazy and he's just like, he has to finish this his way. And mm-hmm. like, Woody... So you're saying Woody is so internalized that it's like, it's not even about finishing it his way. It's just, it's about selectively only paying attention to what you're interested in around you. Let's transition <laughs> to okay, the beginning ahead. of Woody's adventure. Okay. So... Well, so he broke well, down the, the the beginning where he was you know yeah. walked off. Yeah, yeah, he he walked off initially. Um, Will Forte, uh, his son. I'm just going to keep calling him his son because I keep forget. David is his name. That's why I repressed the name. Um, his name is David. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the um, oh, edit that out. Just that, refer to no, him as Will Forte. That's fine. I've admitted worse. The um, so so Woody's son picks Woody up from the police station. Um, where he was abducted to, absconded from the highway. Woody shows David his... That's going to distract me. I just have to say his son. Just say, um, or Will Woody, Forte. <laughs> Will Forte 
shows him the sweepstakes notice that is mo- the motivator for this film. Yeah. And it's clearly, everyone everyone listening to this has seen one of these. It's just a flyer that says, you might have won a bunch of money. Yeah. yeah. And Woody insists that um, he can't get this money in the mail because he doesn't trust the mail. To, he doesn't trust the post office with a million dollars. He wants to go deal with this himself. But he can't drive his truck because his truck's broken. And in fact, uh, and we'll get into the we'll get into that part. Put a pin in that for a second. Um, but basically, at this exact moment, Woody's son feels like the voice of reason in this film um, because he sees through the ruse, picks up his senile old dad, delivers him back to his much less senile mom, who is furious that, that Woody, he keeps wandering off. He just that he just wanders off without saying where he's going. Um, but she doesn't. Kate is an interesting character because it seems like she would actually on some level be fine if Woody ended up in a ditch somewhere. Like she would be able to take that. Well, because then it's less stress off her back. She doesn't worry about, you know, taking care of him then. Her her world is tremendously her world is tremendously free in that way. Um but to but basically uh we get it we get introduced in the same way the straight story kind of gives us the lay of the land. Uh we learned that Woody's son sells stereos somewhat ineffectually to people named Janice. Um, he leads he leads an incredibly poser, borderline incel life um, in Montana, and uh, he uh, clearly he, has trouble making any sort of decisions. Yeah, he you know he's he's in the the kind of relationship that at least one of your friends is in, where you just say "come on" all the time, like no matter what's happening. And he still yeah. doesn't know what the, the heck's going on well, with no, it. He's he's lost ownership of his own life as well. Yeah, it seems like he's he's he had he had either sold it or given it up somehow. You know, and it, the the film's a little or ambig- he just yeah, or he just never took a stance. Well, that's the thing. I mean, the owner the. You know, I mean, I like. I, I guess it. Uh, I guess it is. I guess that's more mm. accurate. Rather than I was suggest, I, I had maybe had a flash that maybe it had been taken from him mm. in a in a relationship. But I think you're right that because her complaint is, I think the the her judgment on him and their relationship, his ex girlfriend, is kind of the the point of how we're supposed to define the character before the movie starts, right? Like who he is in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. and okay. and it's interesting. One the the strangest, most intriguing part about Woody's son is the degree to which he is not his father's son or his um, mother's Mother's, son. Yeah. He is not like either of them. Right. He has been molded by something else. Mm -hmm. Um, And what that is becomes apparent over the course of the film as well. But basically, he eventually uh, decides to drive his dad to go deal with this demon of some kind that is driving him because he he escapes more than one time yeah and it's not worth fighting this it's and he has nothing going on in his own town it's an escape for both of them yeah Mm -hmm. right yeah and their motivations for them are not diametrically opposed but pretty close to it woody woody is more than raring to go on this adventure no matter what anyone says or tells him to do um whereas woody's son wants to find some kind of either camaraderie or meaning in this. Mm-hmm. And that will come up again and again and again in this film. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but for now, we, we sort of have the setting right before the expedition. So let's yeah. go back to the straight story. Okay. Alvin um, is getting a tractor. Yeah, well, Alvin is in poor health and cannot drive his truck either. 
Um, so he... Okay, well, there's an important point I want to make. The reason... I get, oh, uh, I do, we can pause. Yeah, let's just pause for half a second. It's fucking cute, is what it is. And we're back. We're back. Nicole, you have the floor. Oh, yeah. You were saying. Oh, yeah, so, um, you know, so Alvin has to start his journey, too, you know, because he finds out that his brother has a stroke. And I want to bring up how he discovers that his mm -hmm. brother gets a stroke, because him and his daughter are sitting watching a rainstorm, because I'm pretty sure this house does not have a TV. <laughs> you know, and she gets a phone call, and we're just expressed, like, the gravity of the phone call is expressed in the thunder that is going mm -hmm. on outside, and the way the raindrop shadows just pour over Alvin's face. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just such a, like, blatantly obvious and awkward, you know, metaphor mm -hmm. for how he's feeling. It, it's pretty Disney. It's... There... <laughs> I don't know. Okay, so there is a scene from a short film called Frankenweenie by one Tim Burton. Mm -hmm. And there's this great scene where the kid is looking through the window and he's real sad and the water is splashing on the window because we think it's like rainy and, and sad out. And mm -hmm. This rain is reflecting this kid's sad face. <laughs> but then when we pan out, we see that it's... Um, Shelley Duvall on a bright sunny day with a hose watering the flowers yeah. in front of his window. Yes. Um, this scene is just as campy and ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it, it's just, it's, it's very like lynchy and ridiculous. Um, but anyway, so we find out Alvin's brother, you know, just had a stroke and Alvin cannot drive. So, he, but he has to make this journey. So of course, he takes a lawnmower uh -huh. and he and he tries he takes his own lawnmower you know first run doesn't get going too well and he has to buy a john deere used 1964 john deere for 325 dollars right. um but this is the vehicle that he embarks on his journey because he goes solo because mm -hmm. he does not have anybody that can drive him and he's yeah. got to do this alone Okay, so we're both we we started our journeys. I don't know how much we want to okay. go back and forth. Okay, oh, no, no, no. so anyways, so, anyway, so both both men are at the at the starting point. We've got Alvin on his tractor, and we have Woody, who is passenger, to in, Will Forte's fucking Subaru. Subaru, which tells me a lot about Will Forte's character as yeah. a person. Oh, you want to push it with a straight story a little bit as well? You so can which talk one? About which one? They're both to. lined up. Both cars are lined up. Which right. one's going to push yeah. forward here? Yeah, let's well, so okay. do a straight story. Okay. So, um, so I think the the two films really diverge from here stylistically, right? Like Alvin's journey is an odyssey, right? It, yeah. It is episodic, right? One stop at one stop to one stop to one stop. And it's a slow journey. Yeah, it's different characters, uh, and each you know each visit has its own arc within it within itself, and. You know, so then there's the, a lot of like family metaphors built into this. Like yeah, all absolutely. of this stuff is is real heavy and just planted all over the top of it. Well, unlike and, Nebraska. And for Alvin, you know, he he has a kind of centrality to every instance that uh, that he affects or that, that the story takes him on each way. Right. So the first one he runs into, uh, she's a runaway. There's a runaway pregnant and, girl. And he, you know, tells her about the bonds of family and the strength together, and that this can, you know, that. That that's something that's important and can't be lost. And so when he wakes up the morning, she's gone, and 
you know, uh, uh, demonstrates the symbol of what he, uh, of the metaphor he used in a, in a pile of bricks, or excuse me, a pile, a of, pile sticks of sticks that is, of course, stronger together than, than they are separate. It's also, of course, uh, a fascist symbol, but we'll just move beyond that real quick. Um, then also, World War II veteran. Yeah, World War II veteran. You know, using what you got. Where'd he pick it up? Uh, where the fuck does he go from there? What's, this, what's the second sojourn? Um, the next weird thing that happens to him is he's passed by a large number of cyclists. Oh, the yes. cyclists. oh that's right. He picks up the cyclist. And that's the, that is a rather short one. But the main point of that is that there's this guy, you know, guys are kind of being a dick to him as he, yeah. as he rolls into the camp and everyone kind of like, oh, you know, oh my goodness, mm. look at you. Aren't but you then cute? He, yeah, well, and then, um, you know, so all these young people, when he rolls up into the cyclist camp after catching up with them at the end of the day, you know, they're talking to him trying to have a good time and you know they're asking him what's good about being old and he he tells them um remembering when you was young remembering when you were young yeah and i mean that is again this movie is so much sadder nebraska and it just shuts the whole scene down yeah yeah because what what is cycling like cycling is the most young person yeah. bullshit yeah. imaginable. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, Alvin has hip problems. No, he can't get it, on a it, fucking and bike. And let's be frank here too. It might be the singularly most useless thing our society has produced. In terms of its actual fitness, yes. I mean, there's no reason there there are reasons to ride a, bike. a bicycle. Yeah. But they are There's no reason to cycle. There is no reason to cycle whatsoever. Yeah, and I wish I could convince Jacob of this because I want to do a triathlon, but I don't want to do the bike part because the bike part sucks so much. Oh man, I I could tangent right now, but let me shut up. What? Are you going to tangent bike a triathlon? No, no, but I've been watching a lot of endurance races on TV programs. What kind? Oh man, we've Nicole, come, like all of them. Nicole, so talk to me later. There's all types. Nicole, I want to do mountain biking in Utah. Nicole, that sounds like a nightmare. Yeah, that sounds. Exhausting. <laughs> to be honest with you, that just sounds like watching, learning, doing. All of it sounds fucking Anyways, exhausting. Anyways, I, I didn't want to tangent. It wouldn't on be that. endurance if it wasn't exhausting. Yeah. So, so all right. So, uh, so Alvin. Then uh, we leave him. Oh, and then and then his next excursion. Before we forget, after the cyclist thing, is the most lynchy of the entire goddamn movie it's when he encounters a woman that hits a deer yes. on the road yes oh, Jesus. this is really great <laughs> and this woman tirades mm-hmm. um because it is a really dramatic experience evidently she has a chronic problem with hitting deer i mean she's been and monologuing and yes. she's been praying to saint christopher and francis of assisi yes for like months and she has to drive this road she because ha- she has all of these hardships in her life yeah and that the best thing at the end is such a great punchline is that she's you you, you know the, the the frustration and anger she appears to be projecting towards the animal and she says and of course ends it with and i love, love deer. deer i fucking love <laughs> these animals and i can't keep can't not keep hitting them but then, I mean, just to be frank, too, is that she then drives off and leaves this animal on the road. And the very next scene, we see Alvin essentially enjoying some nice venison with the fucking rat. Yeah, and he puts on the, the antlers yeah, right on his, his trailer, trailer yeah, as a little a prize. Um, oh, good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's how that story begins. Kind of starts rolling. Um, Nebraska's story gets off to a little bit of a slower start. Um, <laughs> Woody loses his dentures. He um, gets drunk and then falls on his head. 
Uh, they go into more than one bar. They go into basically every bar they come across. Yeah, and he does. Yeah, he and from the fall in the head, he does end up in the hospital, which means they have to detour because they can't keep dragging him off to Lincoln with a head injury. Uh-huh. And I'm okay with mostly breezing past those specific parts of it because what it's just establishing the awkward relationship between Will Forte and his father because the commandeering, domineering, pers- like it, his son will not step on his toes. Um, The one joke he tries to make uh, when they're trying to find the dentures by the train tracks. um, Well, one joke Woody tries to make is fucking good. Well, no, his son. His son tries to do this. His son says, um, oh, no, these aren't yours. These aren't your teeth. And then Woody immediately just turns that joke around on him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like leans way more into varish- it. Yeah, way more viciously. Leans into it. Basically, uh, is his son can't get anything on him. Like yeah. his son, his son tries to step to the king, and then Woody's like, "Nah." <laughs> oh, nah. even even like when Not his son tries this. to call him out at you know one of the bars, and he's like, well, "You know, you've been an alcoholic your whole life." And his father just at, like, well, there's there's a number of beers on the table already. Just like yeah. denies it right to his face. He's like, "I, I don't drink that much. I, I don't drink. Yeah. I don't drink. It takes. I don't drink that much. It takes three separate bar visits." For Woody to even admit that he drinks a lot, mm-hmm. like he he will not give any ground, and this is this is a very real phenomenon. A lot of people, particularly um, <laughs> liberal siblings to conservative fathers, have to deal with, is that the conservative father, for all their obvious foibles, of course, does know a thing or two about the way the world runs, and this is what Woody gradually. Uh, this is what Woody's son gradually comes to realize throughout the course of the journey. But in the in, in the very beginning, it really is, even though Woody is coming out on top in terms of like the jokes and the flavor, this is still this is still his son escorting his dad. Mm-hmm. Um, he is the caretaker. Even um, and the, that script starts to flip a little bit once we get into the second branch of this, which is when they get to Hawthorne, mm-hmm. where the past comes up, um, where we actually learn about where Woody came from. I mean, it's basically, it's, it's a middle act origin story mm-hmm. of sorts. Yeah, so let's, let's maybe... But, but let's go back to the straight story yeah. first. So the straight story's essential middle act is um, Woody finds himself, uh, has a breakdown in his, in his uh, tractor, his lawnmower, uh, careens down a hill, uh, loses his brakes. Yeah, loses his brakes and, and runs and, right into a fire training drill. Yeah, very Lynchian, <laughs> and and, um, and uh, ends up uh, shacking up, if you will, right? Like ends up kind of um, just camps out in these yeah, people's yeah, carport, camps out in, yeah, in, in there, and um, he has some key interactions here. And let's just go ahead and move over these. Really and quickly. well, and because we we do cover actually Woody or not Woody, I'm sorry, uh, Alvin. Alvin's relationship with the bottle because he had one too. Yes. Um, but he found a preacher to help put some distance between him and the bottle, <laughs> uh, it, what, which is a, something. It's a great turn of phrase. I'll yeah. Be which is something Woody clearly never fucking figured out how to do. Um, but we get we get all of our nice World War II bullshit in in this little reprieve while he is uh, resting at this town waiting for his tractor to be built um, because he has a, another old gentleman from the town takes him to the bar and he's like, well, I don't drink, but I'd love to get out. And both of them go into very emotional stories that they've been holding on to since the war mm-hmm. and have like never divulged mm-hmm. 
to anyone else. Um, Again, this is a Disney film. Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 got that weird it's got that weird like saccharine sadness that only Disney can bring out of well, people. It's, yeah, yeah, because I mean, at the end of the scene, I mean, basically both of these old men are crying, and it's it's like very powerful, but it's still it it it's still so vanilla and Disney. Well, of, co- and, like, of course, yeah. every every veteran has that story inside of them, and what's and the thing that annoys me about it, the reason why I use the word saccharine, saccharine is pretty much always used in a derogatory yeah. sense, and in this case, it the point of that story is that they never tell it to anyone, yeah. including other people with those secrets. Mm-hmm. Um, and that annoys the shit out of me, honestly, um, that this, this, this scene occurs because this scene is, and Grant, it, it, it allows Lynch once again to make his audience uncomfortable with no regard to <laughs> when it's going to end, when they're going to actually zoom away from these faces. Um, but it does, that kind of scene strikes me as lazy. Like I don't like those kind. I don't like that kind of expositional divulging. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I, I think, by contrast, I think Nebraska does a much better job of not <laughs> showing those. And granted, it's partly because Woody doesn't have any of those gremlins. Yeah, well, well, yeah. Like Nebraska well, is way that. less yeah. metaphorical, even if like the you know. Uh, the straight story, like I said, their metaphors are really simple and cheesy and mostly like family oriented and very suburban, but they're all like very like obviously planted all over it where there's like Nebraska is more bitter. Well, and I could, just just to focus more on the straight story here in this in this vignette, because it, it does take up a good chunk of time, mm-hmm. him staying with this family. And what's also interesting, too, is um, how this kind of forms like a surrogate, like you, uh, this, this family that, he sta- that Alvin stays with in the straight story is essentially kind of analog- uh, uh, analogous to the, um, to, you know, a, a proto-son-like mm-hmm. figure, right? Like, let me do this for you. Let me help you out here. Come on in and use the phone, dad. I mean, that's yeah. really what we, it's all that fucking <laughs> yeah. character was missed in saying. And... You know, his insistence on not wanting that help, I think that, once again, the reason it's different is because the characters themselves are different. I mean, what's what's partly intriguing about contrasting these two films against each other is that, you know, the similar approach to handling how you, how you make a film about aging and being at the end of your life and how you reconcile with the past as, as it has affected your present and how you establish and try to find meaning in the short amount of time you have left, given the the, the bizarre tasks before both of these these men, and um, you know, for Alvin, you know, this scene it, I think is is handled very tenderly uh, because you know they're clearly you know carrying some you know the, both the, the the head of the family that takes yeah. him in and Alvin himself are carrying a lot of the kind of emotional baggage, literally and figuratively, that they that they all bring to that scene. When we get to Hawthorne, and so if I could transition yeah. us to Nebraska now, yeah. when we get to Hawthorne, we're really, you know, leveled along two lines, uh, really three lines of plot. Uh, one is uh, Woody and his family that's in Hawthorne. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second is Woody and his former partner who's going to try to fuck him out of the money that they don't know is bullshit. And then the third one, uh, oh fuck me, is uh, oh god damn it. Is um, Woody and his and his past that then culminates in him visiting his old home in in Hawthorne, and yeah, uh, also exemplified by yeah. the um, by the love that could have been, right? So it's the family, it's uh, it's his nemesis, and it's the past, 
And all three of those are handled um, not only not only very well, um, but uh, injects a good amount of humor to keep the levity of the film's uh, first act really in, in, in place. And uh, so which one do you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about the goof-ass family that he deals with? Um, do you want to talk about him and Stacy Keach and his nemesis, let's or do you do want to it. talk about? I think let's I think ending the, on the uh, ending on the past. Will let's be the end way. on the past okay. because I want to bring it back up to Alvin, yeah. the past one, and make another comparison. When okay, we get so there. I mean, uh, do we need to really divulge her on the Stacy Keach kind of thing? Because well, let's start with the family because there's a few notes on the family here that I really want to. Uh, point out i mean so the impression we get is that nobody you know that uh woody and his son haven't seen this extended family in hawthorne for 15 to 20 years it seems oh my god like. it's absurd the amount of time that's yeah, passed. yeah um and as soon as they get introduced to each other it's literally like hey yeah and that's it all the time that has passed has now been filled in and and what you driving? They're just what do you right. Drive? They're just what do you right drive? there. That's drive? that's a beautiful touch. Oh. That's a that's a Vince Gilligan esque touch. The need the need to know what people drive. Like this is and a, how long it took them to get to where they were going. That's a beautiful detail as well. Um, but that is literally the only information this family engages with each other on. Cars are important in suburban and rural settings. This is something that most movies miss. And I bring this up frequently because I think it is Vince Gilligan's trump card when it comes to telling stories in things like Breaking Bad. You know what everyone drives. And the reason for that is that everyone needs a car to get everywhere. A car in a suburban setting it says a lot about you. Okay, and, and the whole point of this goddamn trip for Woody is that with his million dollars, he's going to buy a truck. Yep. Yeah, and we can now bring this up because a couple of people talk about what they would do if they had a million dollars. And a million is a great number because it's, it's, it's the vague, this is as much money as you need to do, whatever. And there are a couple of answers given to this question, and uh, we can sort of go through them now because... They're pretty, they're pretty simple. Yeah, so Woody, <laughs> Woody wants a truck, a new truck, and a compressor to replace one that was taken by Ed Pegram, Who his nemesis. Who we will nemesis. talk about shortly. Yeah. Um, he just wants to replace it. Yeah. Which, collectively... Is what like if he buys a brand new truck with all the fixes? Talk about sixty-five. What sixty-five thousand for a Raptor class F one fifty? Like you could do this whole project for thirty. You don't need. You <laughs> but really, if you really want to go out, you could spend about sixty-five grand you, on a truck. And you cannot spend a million. No, you like can't. that's not <laughs> like a million dollars is not necessary. I want a fleet. To do this. I want a fleet of trucks. <laughs> and this is. One of the other people, one of the, the handful of people that they interview, this, this is the one that sticks with me. There's some random old couple that walks up to them while they're at a restaurant and says, man, if I had a million dollars, I would get a boat. Like it takes a million dollars to get a boat. Woody, These, yeah. well, people's wife, ambitions. His wife, Kate, says with a million dollars, she wants to put Woody in a home. Yeah. Like, because she doesn't have enough money to do that, obviously. Also, not a million dollars. I love, I, I love, this is such an American thing. Mm -hmm. Because having a million dollars is the most American idea 
around. It is it is the falling into fortune. Yeah. And what do you do when you fall into fortune? You do something that is just barely above your current means because yeah. that is the extent of your imagination beyond the accrual of wealth. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and this is what I like about Woody as a character and it's why I think he's very endearing because Woody and as as they go through his past this becomes more and more apparent as they reveal his relationship with Kate, mm-hmm. uh, which is that he married her because because she wanted to get married. Yeah, she wanted to get married, and why not? And he re- does he regret it? Yeah, absolutely, all the time. But I mean, he would have just married someone. Did else. he want those kids? I don't know. She got pregnant. We had kids. What am I supposed to do about? Yeah, it? they're like screwing. So yeah. I ended yeah. up with children. And this is this would seem like a completely careless rather than carefree way to live. But right. but ultimately when you live in rural um what it's Montana. not Montana, yeah. When you live in rural Montana or in Hawthorne You don't have to say rural in front of Montana anymore. The, if you yeah, live in Montana. I, I suppose. <laughs> Jackson Hole. No, the um your actions just don't have consequences. Mm-hmm. It's one of the strangest things, and I, I, I actually want to, this is both a book and a movie that I want to read at some point. Um, have either of you read or watched Wisconsin Death Grip? Nope. Because no. apparently that movie delves into the dark, sinister version of this Okay, tale. well, it does take place in the correct geographical location. No, it I, does. I have and, not seen that, but I have seen Fargo. <laughs> yeah. A. There's too much going on in Fargo. There's yeah. not as many specifically old person things in Fargo. Oh yeah. But yeah. it's it's the way in which this this sort of meaninglessness, the the fact that this entire region was basically just populated by Germans at one point right. and they were all they they were all destined even if they didn't intend to be farmers and that was all they knew for so long and that was that that was what gave them meaning aside from the church. And now they don't have the church, right? Like none of these people are act. None of these people are genuinely Protestant or Catholic. The right. way or that, Lutheran or Lutheran. That's the three that get covered above and beyond Protestantism. Like this isn't. This is Germans or Lutherans, man. Luther was German, bro. Indeed, um, but it's 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 not a defining characteristic of these. I mean, does a church appear in Nebraska anywhere? No. The only the only thing she uh, references is that uh, Woody's family is at the Lutheran. Uh, graveyard and that her family is at the Catholic graveyard. But no, these people don't seem to be like real reined in or uh, like God-fearing. I mean, fuck the the house they're staying at. That part of the family has the two sons who are great. We haven't even mentioned, but one of them, you know, got arrested for aggravated uh, sexual assault. <laughs> yeah. um, Attempted you know, rape. Yeah, what is that? It's not rape. It was sexual assault. There's yeah. a difference. <laughs> Indeed. You know, but and the mom's just, you know, brushing off that, you know, his community service is him volunteering. Oh, God. You well, know? I mean, look, look. Like. Yeah, no, Catholics aren't the only ones with a, with a monopoly on hypocrisy. Yeah. You, know? like, you just can't, you can't get away with that. And I think, too, that the, the, the fun that the movie, that the film has with their lifestyles is the... You know the shortness with which you one could catch up after twenty years. Yeah, and this, all you need to update is how long it took you to get there and yeah. which car you're driving now. Well, and then and, and then, maybe what happened to your previous car. Well, but then the, the time that they the, the time in which they spend together as as a family is you know gathered together around watching television, grunting and you're not truly engaging with each other, and the like the 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 being thereness of 
their interactions, right? Like, well, we're here, we're together, we're family. You're like, who's not in your family? I ain't fucking around them. Like, that's yeah. no problem. You know, there ain't family. And I like, uh, and I like the contrast to that, which you know, the nemesis kind of approaches, where you are gradually filled into the fact that it seemed like early on these people had lives that were more dependent on each other, more interconnected with each other. But in the past, all those relationships of like, you know, they they hit the level at which you detached from them. And that level maintained, right? Like there was no, there was nothing to add because the relationships had ceased to develop among each other as everyone kind of like just, you know, like, like through entropy almost. Yeah, like yeah, just separated to like, out. Yeah, seemed to have like distanced from each other. Well, in a meaningless existence, it doesn't take much to hit a point where your dependency on the other people in your life grows so tenuous that you can essentially discard it. And that's what these people have done. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so we are then revealed and where's where the film tries, tries to build the complexity and sympathy for Woody's character is by revealing by the fact that, you know, early on he appeared to have to have a heart, right. To be someone who was um, generous with himself and his time and his resources. I, I think the phrase is, is that he could not say no to people. Yeah, who he did asked a lot him. of favors for yeah, he people could not say no. back in Hawthorne. Yeah. And it may have it may have broken him. Well and that's the thing, right? That's and that's and that what kind of winds us through. And the film is very subtle in how that and how it gets alluded how, to yeah. early on, but then really hammers it home when we're introduced to the nemesis. Who Ed Pegram. Ed Pegram, who is deliciously uh, vindictive, right? Like he is like really great in the kind of like, you know, manipulative. Cheese, yeah, the cheese ball, fucking small town dick bag. Simply getting by on the fact that people won't slap his fucking face because he's of slightly like slightly more intimidating. Yeah, because than of like coofness and shit yeah. like that, right? Like that guy just that guy should be hit more, much more frequently. Uh, but of course, relies on the fact that ninety-eight percent of people don't want to make a scene. Sure, and including Woody. And in fact, Ed and Woody work together in a mechanic shop, presumably on that basis, because no one else would work with Ed. Yes. Ed is the kind of not tryhard is the wrong word, but he um, he's absolutely abrasive in a way that he he is allowed at the table at the bar because everyone is drunk. Mm -hmm. yeah. No one would be around that table if there wasn't alcohol. Yeah. Woody is so specifically driven, and it, it's interesting that his age makes him seem more like this than he would have been in an earlier time. His generosity makes a lot of sense because Woody, Woody is the most preternatural problem solver of them all. He just immediately acts on whatever seems to be the right thing to do at the time. Um, when, when something comes up about Ed needing money from him, implied very strongly, Woody just goes... Oh, how much does he yeah, need? Yeah, need a couple bucks. Yeah, like he does. He, he pulls he, out his wallet. Yeah, he pulls his wallet out. And even if there was nothing in that wallet, it's the fact that Woody has this automaticity to all of his actions. He's he's a very he's the most honest person he can be, um, other than lying about his drinking. But that also that also. Oh no, never mind. Sorry that that scene comes up. It's really it's really probably actually the the most knife on the heart scene in the whole film probably because it just it speaks volumes about the nature of Woody's son as a person when he reveals that he doesn't drink and Woody says well it seems to be working out for you yeah yeah <laughs> because what is what does it actually mean and this is the point at which Woody reveals that he is 
there there is a wisdom behind his seeming like blinkered blindness in how he moves forward because sure he drinks a lot sure he makes all these like approximately silly decisions like just walking out but he knows he's going to get picked up he knows he'll be fine and drinking hasn't hurt him there is nothing it's hurt everyone around him. it's hurt everyone around him (laughs) but only but again only in some sort of ultimate sense that is not it it, is it his fault 100 percent? no 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 i but I mean, the key insight that Woody figured out is that he's not going to allow other people to hurt him anymore, right? Where Will Forte and the son's characters are so wrapped up in the fact that bad shit had happened to them or that their father wasn't there for them in the way that they expected him to be there. They keep wanting to hold him to account for this and they, they need to hear him say, it was my fault, I'm sorry, I should have been there for you. sorry I was a you. shit dad, and whatever he's it like, is. Fuck man, like I didn't, you know, I didn't ask you to be so goddamn needy yeah. You know, like this is like this is the problem with a lot of these like relationships as they're conveyed in mass media is that like there's no fucking culpability in the fact that, you know, you know, got the the kids have some responsibility in the fact that they, you know, they weren't the perfect they weren't naturally the perfect fit, right? The the problem's always with the parents because the kids are like, you know, you couldn't meet my needs and it's like, well, I didn't fucking ask for a needy kid. You know, like I didn't, I, you know, like it's not my fault that you needed more, um, you know, you needed more emotions uh, or, or needed more emotional reassurance. I was never a reassuring person, right? Like that's not my fault that you have, that you happen to have this need that I preternaturally cannot provide. Incapable of fulfilling. And that's why he doesn't fuck. I mean, to be honest with you, it's fucking nice to hear him say, I don't fucking have to apologize to you for this. Like this is, you know, like, yeah, it, it fucking sucks. Right. It's, it, it came back and bit you in the ass that you had a dad that, that wasn't the best possible dad that you could have had. Well, and I think that ties nicely into when they visit his family home though. That's the thing. Like, well, how many crosses does he have to bear with this? You know, like, goddamn. Because we learned that, that, that Woody's childhood probably wasn't very happy. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, Either. So, but in the, in the end though, right? Like he, he also, and the reason I, okay. The reason I would say that why we can forgive Woody for kind of behaving that way towards his son is that he has clearly forgiven his nemesis, Ed Pegram, from treating him poorly in the past, right? Like he wants an air, a new air compressor, compressor. He does not want his old one back, right? He does not demand the restorative justice from, from what Ed Pegram took from him. He's like, I'll just get a new one, right? He doesn't want his old one back. He doesn't need Ed, uh, Ed to give him back what he took from him. Again, Woody is proximately saintly. Yes, exactly, and that's the weird thing. Like it's 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 weird that lesson that that is conveyed to his son as well. So, but then I agree, right? So the the past, let's go ahead and deal with it in two chunks, right? We're visiting the family home, yeah. and uh, Will Forte, the son of of Woody, uh, visiting uh, the the love that could have been, right? Mm-hmm. And which one do we want to handle first? Um, let's start with the love, and then we'll we'll work into the house because, like I said, I'm going to work back you want, into you want Alvin you after it. the house. So, um, so Will Forte goes to visit the, ascent, the fucking town curator, I guess. The so, newspaper. Yeah, yeah, she runs yeah, the newspaper. She writes the the Hawthorne Republican. Yeah. yeah. Oh God. And okay, but so really great shit. And uh, so I've been waiting to mention it now. Um, this woman and every other just fucking decent, nice old couple that is just smattered throughout this film are some of my favorite things in these things. <laughs> I love the goofy old guy outside the hardware store in, in Nebraska. You know, hey, Woody, 
Yeah. How you doing? <laughs> what you been up to these last years? And then there's That's the guy. That's nice. There's the guy. That See just, you later, Woody. <laughs> you the know? guy that the just character sits yeah. by the, the, the curb in the chair and watches the cars go by. Yeah, watches the truck. Just hangs out, watches the truck. And then um, the couple that run they run into who you mentioned, who's like, you know, oh, I'd buy a boat with that. Yeah. Just fucking nice people. <laughs> um, there's a scene where the kids go and steal an air compressor and fucking, you know, it's the it's not the right air compressor. Yeah, well, they went to the wrong house. Yeah. It wasn't Ed Pegram's house. It fucking, was some other nice couple. Yeah, the a fucking couple comes in there's a strange ass car it's a couple they haven't seen for 30 years they recognize them and they're like hey kate how you doing oh good everything's been great well i don't want to keep you you know <laughs> I gotta get moving and they're just like oh have a safe trip home just fucking flat out anonymous decent people like really like some of my favorite things especially contrasted with the fucking selfish dysfunction of will and and his brother and the selfish fucking dysfunction of Ed Pegram and the fucking dope ass, dupey fucking sexual assaulting asshole fucking cousins, cousins of his. Yeah. There's such a great contrast between the fucking shit asshole people that clearly reside here. And then at its core, and of course they're all old, but I don't yeah. want to imply anything by this, right? But of course they're all old, but just these like, man, the salt of the fucking earth. <laughs> you know, like just like good, decent good people. people. Good people, goddammit. And. I All like of the, whom can be unified by Fox News. Yeah, and so oh yeah, exactly. Well, now uh, that's the only good thing is ho- hopefully they don't get cable. So, yeah. um, so but then of course we're led into the woman who runs the, the and she is just as fucking sweet as, as she can, can be. be. Yeah, she yeah. is as sweet as she can be. Because the word got out that Woody is about to run into a and they were going to do a story, gonna, do a story <laughs> on him. And uh, you know, Will when he goes down to try to explain to this poor lady that there's no there's no million dollars. Yeah, you know she gives him a little dirt that her and uh, his dad they that used a, to they had a thing. thing. They had a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Ask ask your dad about Peg Bender. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. Had a thing. Yeah. And, it turns uh, out it isn't just Woody's wife mm-hmm. who might have slept around literally yeah. with everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although Kate one hundred percent did do that. Um, Kate permeates this movie. Uh, right. Woody's wife. Yeah, because she's not like a main character, but she's always yelling in the background about she's, something. She's always she is so aesthetically the wife of an old man. Like she's just constantly complaining about something. Oh god! And she always has a point. She's never wrong. But the thing is, in the same way that Will Forte can't ever get a break from can't catch a break from Woody because in reality his gripes and his the struggles that he has in the world really are so either immaterial or on him and they're they're so insular. Mm -hmm. Kate's pragmatism and the things that frustrate her about the world seen through Woody's eyes are immaterial. The world is going to move on no matter whether she stands up for herself or not. It does like the paychecks, wherever they happen to be coming from are going to come in they're going to go to the store. They're going to run into friends. Kate keeps score in a way that is, it, it's perfectly aligned with the way that our culture feels like things have to be taken care of. You cannot be disrespected. You must keep, uh, you, you have to keep track of what's owed to you. Mm-hmm. And you have to stand up for yourself. Yeah, and she's such a contrast to Woody who allowed himself to be walked over. Yeah. Right? Like that's the, that's the kind of the element and the resentfulness she's kind of, the resentfulness she holds to uh, holds him to 
for yeah, ruining she's, what could have she's been. mad at him for it, and she's mad at everyone else for it. Yeah, but but the question is what what was ruined? Because Woody doesn't seem perturbed by what he has lost mm-hmm. in the path he has chosen. Woody is a sage, practically. Well, I mean, but you know, that's that, that's his insight brought on by senility. You know, like let's like is that is that. Well, no, it wasn't. I mean, the insight, the insight revealed itself in his senility, but it's clearly been the way that he, he's clearly followed his nose for a long, long time. Right. I mean, he's, he's basically been a faithful dog his whole life. Um, and it only seems to manifest at the end of his life that especially when compared to people like Kate, who is clearly angry all the time oh yeah like she's she doesn't she is certainly not happier than Woody no is. she is resentful as, as what what he allowed to happen to himself right i think that's the kind of key insight that comes from that but what what is that though no it does i mean look it's it's what happened i mean that's that, i mean the, the 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 fucking promise of the thing was what was taken from you and the the idea that it could have been anything but ended up this way is, of course, the resentfulness that happens from that. I mean, well, and she also she's resentful because she feels like she's the one who's had to keep it together all these years because fucking Woody's never done shit. All he does is do favors for her. like he's not doing anything at fucking home. This isn't fucking helping me at all. No, and I've been putting up with this our whole goddamn life. Well, that's but that's what age you know that's what age brings, right? Like you start off at twenty with with a mountain of with a fucking range of possibility that is incredible. And every year that fucking range just diminishes further and further and further. And, you know, being 60, 70 or 80 with with so little available to you at that time, you can't but resent the fact of how it was misused in the past, either by yourself or by others. Which Kate reminds us of by talking about every person who tried to sleep with her. Exactly. And and that's the thing, right? There Mm -hmm. is like there is there is that fucking looking back and, and rolling through those possibilities and. You know, partly, of course, being part of the fucking tragedy of being old is the amount of time you have, right? Yeah. Like, it is incredible after you've retired the amount of effort you have, or the amount of time you have, and the and the and the lack of effort you can into expanding your possibilities. I mean, that's that's the fucking tragedy of the thing, right? If anything, you should retire between twenty and thirty-five and work yeah. till your yeah. death. Like that's the way to go. So it's very shocking to me that like. I mean, that's a get off to on the personal bandwagon here, but to kind of like see the the effects of what of what happens with aging, you know, it is it is rather fucking stark and striking how quickly the fucking past becomes more relevant to you than it had previously. It's it's really it's I mean, but but the past only comes back when you've lost your future. Yeah. And man, when that fucking happens, there's only so many ways that you can take it. And the weird thing about it is that Woody has not lost his sense of the future, right? That's what really distinguishes him in, in between him and Kate as well. And like you said, it's an insight almost brought in by the delusion that, that, that allowed it to come about, right? The million dollars, right? The idea that they actually thinks he could walk 800, I just looked at, I just Google mapped the fucker, yeah. 850 miles he thinks he can walk to Lincoln, like it's, he's got nothing to lose. Exactly, and so, the, <laughs> and in a in a weird way, it's this like freeing that ha, like it that has allowed him to kind of, you know, that that pushes this film forward, and it's the kind of freedom that Will Will's character, his son, needs to realize sooner than later, because Will for essentially had been acting like an old man through the whole beginning first act of the film. 
under the delusion that that was necessary. Yes, exactly. It was necessary. It, it is what it is. And I don't see any possibilities of future because of the lack of ownership I have in it. Yeah. So it's, I a, it's a pensiveness and it's a frustration about what has already been lost. Okay. Which, I mean, Will lives in the past. Yes. For all intents and purposes. The, and, okay, so, and if I could, so then we go to the house, right? Yeah. So then, then the pa- they, they want to see where we lived. And he's like, why they the fuck do you want to see that? They confront the actual, yeah. yeah like, why the fuck yeah, do you want to see that old place? Fucking piece yeah. of shit. So they go to the house, it's dilapidated, overgrown, and. Um, first thing. First thing the wife says when they walk in, oh, it looks the same as uh, when your mother your used mother to keep it. Kept so it. first thing off the bat, we're like completely insulting, yeah. you know, his family. And um, and it's it's really. But then you get this feeling that it probably wasn't that happy of a childhood because the next thing that they go on is about how like his younger brother died in bed next to him. Yeah. I mean, he goes a great uh, great moment. He goes into the parents' in the bedroom. Parents' bedroom. He's like, I would have been whipped for being in here. And he pauses, and he's mm-hmm. like, Nobody's gonna whip me. I guess nobody's gonna whip me now. Yeah. And yeah. like, man, like uh, that fucking that. Yeah. That so you get the really sense that he had like he had a very unhappy childhood. Yeah. You know, and he was maybe, leaving something behind. And, but in that's the way what I that mean. He like he probably didn't have a whole lot of tools going into the rest of life. You know, from. You know, like from everything his sons want out of him, like he didn't fucking learn that anywhere. Yeah. Like no, he just dug. Yeah. He just took care, and this is again, it falls into this. Woody, Woody starts far enough, starts close enough to the bottom that there's no point in looking behind him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no, there's no incentive for him to entertain these what ifs. It's why he just married the first person who wanted to marry him. Yeah. It's why he had kids. Like the the amount of. Forethought, and it's interesting to call it forethought because it implies thinking about the future, but it's only thinking about the future for fear of what you will remember mm-hmm. <laughs> on some level. Right. It is it is an attempt to craft your own history. And Woody is absolutely disinterested in history. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He is an ahistorical figure, borderline mm-hmm. anti-historical figure. I mean, he doesn't what are the odds? that Will and Woody had to go on this odyssey together just so he could learn any of these incredibly basic facts about his childhood, mm-hmm. that these things wouldn't have already been revealed to him at some point. It's because, oh, he's deliberately not looking for them. Because, because Woody, is, Woody would never offer any of that information no. without being directly asked. Mm-hmm. And he's willing to give it up. That's part of why we know that that's true, because he's not hiding it he's not hiding any of that information the only thing he's hiding poorly is how much he drinks um and of course what more specific reference is there for alcohol but then drinking to forget Mm -hmm. i mean that is that is sort of it's that that's That's the domain of of alcohol yeah it in it's it's weird The, the triteness is only uh matched by how fucking valid it is in like you know like I mean I've I've it's a platitude for fucking, a reason yeah no, I've known alcoholics too and like man they're all they're all running from something that happened you know they're 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 not they're not doing it to run towards something in their yeah. future you know and when you you know confront that like you know like I said that triteness of self medicating and things like that like you know Woody I think you know validly recognizes that he's kind of running has run from something in that in that scene as well and has gotten gotten away from it. Um, but you know, wasn't capable of moving beyond that. No, like Woody never that, found enough. N- Woody never like found enough positive in his life to ever quit drinking. Because this is where I wanted to jump back Great. to 
to you got it. Yeah, this is this is definitely the time to transition. Yeah, to, to so there's another movie we've been reviewing. Yeah, you know because Alvin, fresh off, you know him. Uh, you know, getting a drink with that World War II guy where he didn't in the have, straight story. In the straight story, you know, he didn't have a drink, but he went to the bar with him. One of the two things uh, that I think is very different between these characters is is the past, because I think Alvin in the straight story, Alvin didn't have like an easy childhood, mm-hmm. but it wasn't an unhappy childhood. Yeah. Like he he actually has some positive memories about it, even though it was a difficult time in his mm-hmm. life. Like he still shared a lot with his brother um, and they, they were able to kind of like work through that. And you don't get a sense that Woody ever, like Woody ever shared anything with, uh, with, with anybody like, like nothing aside from drinking ever got him past any of this. Mm-hmm. Like he's never been able to separate himself from maybe his poor childhood where Alvin, Alvin has been been able to kind of like draw from his hardships in a more positive way. And right. I feel like that is one of the biggest things that separates these two movies. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I was um I was struck in the way that like, you know, the past tends to you know, tends to be you know, reference between the two films, right? Where one, we are, our only conduit to Alvin's past is himself, mm-hmm. right? But like Woody, it, uh, the connection to his past is re- is revealed. Is that we're actually going there? Yeah, is revealed through through all of that, and it's it's very it's uh, it's very cool the way these that that they that they approach it in in uh, in that because when we get out of the kind of second act and move into the final act of Nebraska. And then in the final act of the straight story, you know, I think that's where the point and the purpose and the message of these two movies begins to differ even more yeah. extravagantly from each other as well. So are we ready to kind of move into the endings of these two films? Yeah, we can yeah, take so. into the okay, let's do straight, straight story first uh, as well. Okay. So, I mean, we've been talking about Nebraska for half an hour, so we ought yeah, to, so we ought to talk about straight story. Well, so we straight, can wrap up. Yeah, we yeah, can let's start wrap up straight story. story. So essentially, he makes it to his brother's house. Yeah, he does. He, uh, you know, yeah, he gets the. He finally gets it fixed. He uh, he sends off that last journey. He takes. There's a great scene at the end where he does finally indulge in a beer, and it's he's at a bar, and there's like this weird old guy's the bartender, mm-hmm. and there's two people, and it's an awkward little lynchy scene. Yep. But uh, Alvin, so Alvin's been on the road three, four, five yeah, months. Yeah, this has been a substantial amount of time, yeah. and uh, he even has like a small breakdown right before he gets to his brother's house. But he finally, he finally does, with the help of a tractor, mm-hmm. find his way there. And you know, and it's complete. It, you know, uh, who is it? Richard Dean Stanton. Yep. It's his brother. Harry Dean Stanton. Harry Dean Stanton. He's in terrible fucking condition. Yeah. He like crawls out of this, <laughs> this goddamn cabin. Like Alvin's house was not nice. His brother lives in like a log shack. Yeah, it's almost like you're in this like worn pair of long johns with like a yeah. straw hat on or something. It's it, fucking rough. Yeah, man. like these people look really, really rural, and um, and they can barely even exchange words. But it's really powerful because he's like, you you drove all the way here on this, like mm-hmm. pointing and. And uh, Alvin just says yes, and they both just like sit on the porch, and you know it's like it's really powerful. Like he finally got together, he fucking made it to this journey, and he he did what he wanted to do. He came here, he's gonna make amends. And unlike the other instances of total discomfort throughout this film, 
it doesn't linger on that. I forget specifically which author refers to this method of writing, but it's, um, I want to say it's Stephen King, but I don't want to just immediately attribute it to him. It's the idea that you should stop writing the story the second you know how it's going to end. Okay. It's, it's the idea that you should only write the unpredictable parts. And Lynch that obeys like that he would do. perfectly because in this scene, that question gets answered. Mm-hmm. The camera zooms up to we the stars. We go right back up to the stars. And you roll credits. Yeah. yeah. There's no, we don't, we don't see them getting along or not. They don't have the We don't the need awkward... to know like how they came together. We just have to know that this journey is done. Yeah. They leave that up to the audience. You know, um, Woody, on the other hand, he's got his journey. <laughs> so soon. Is, it doesn't wrap up quite well. You know, it wraps up, but it's still, <laughs> it has, still has a little bit more driving. And I think it is a great ending. I like the sending a lot. So, okay, so they do make it to Lincoln. They yeah. make it to Lincoln. Uh, the Let part me. of the soundtrack I remember. So the only reason we're watching this film <laughs> do tell, is David. because Spotify recommended a song from this soundtrack to me like a year ago. And I've been meaning to actually listen to it. The song's name is Tin Hat. It's still great. I listen to it on a regular basis. Uh, great, but okay. I realized like half a year ago that it was from a movie and that movie I read the plot premise the uh, the summary of it and uh, it goes on Wikipedia the film follows an elderly Montana resident and his son attempting to claim a million dollar sweepstakes prize on a long trip to Nebraska and that sounded great awesome. so I've been trying to work this in nice a little uh, movie crew lore going yeah. on here yeah right something now. like that but in any case so they make it they make it to the marketing headquarters in where's this place? Lincoln, Nebraska. They this walk whole in. thing is good. It's just like a shitty looking office that's kind of a mess. There's it's a just lady an on a computer. Yeah, yeah, the lady's and, on the computer. Yeah, there's a there's a clerk. She punches in the code. It doesn't It's not a winner. Not it's, a not, winner. it's not a winner. Go figure. Uh, Hope you didn't drive far. <laughs> yeah. Uh it has that that's a very Cohen esque moment there. But they leave and Will find Will has two moments of redemption in this film. The first one, he punches Ed Pegram in the face on the way out of the bar. Yeah, um, which we would have talked about, but a we've already talked about Nebraska a lot, and b there's really not much beyond that. And I think the second scene is more important. Anyway, is is more important. Will sells. I mean, Pegram just got what he had coming. Yeah, yeah. Will sells his Subaru and buys. A relatively new truck. Yes. It's like five years old, yeah. which in this economy, in this part of America, that might as well be new. <laughs> and he buys an air compressor with the balance. And the final ride, the victory lap, they let, um, uh, what is it? Uh, Will drives the truck back to Hawthorne. But once they get to Hawthorne, they switch seats. They Chinese fire drill, yeah. and Woody goes into the into the driver's seat, which is totally illegal. He's not allowed to do this. He's not allowed to drive. But for 15, 20 glorious seconds, <laughs> Woody gets to drive his almost brand new truck down main street. <laughs> the main street of his old town, and everybody gets to think that he is. Not me. And this is this is this is where the beautiful part of this comes because everyone outside the window thinks he's a millionaire. Mm-hmm. 
but what what is is what is the actual thing that's going through Woody's head here? Because really, all he's getting to do is show his past that everything's okay. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it's almost like a vanity play at that point. It is. Like he no. just yeah, like he just wants he just wants to be the guy with the cool truck and he's just he's giving but the that's most, that's enough for him no and that's that's all it takes that's all it takes to make yeah. Woody happy it yeah, doesn't like, take a like, million dollars yeah like fucking you know his son finally came up with like a goddamn solution to this problem because obviously telling Woody he didn't win a million dollars was not solving anything also he Woody didn't really seem all that crestfallen honestly he, he was over it pretty much immediately uh, but this truck thing was realizable. Like, yeah. this was an actual goal that Woody had that could be realized, and it was shown in the most flamboyant way possible. And what's great is, in the salt-of-the-earth fashion of the people around, only, like, two or three people in that town um, were genuinely unhappy about that happening. Mm-hmm. The degree to which this five-year-old truck rolling through Main Street is a boon to everyone, that it is... I don't. I don't have an appropriate analogy for it because the Pope Mobile is too specifically <laughs> Catholic. But it's the aura. And Woody was a Lutheran. Yeah, there's there's an aura of the truck. It's like just a good feeling, and what's causing that feeling is incredibly stupid on its face. This is again. This is Will's protest. This is what Will overcomes by the end of this film. Because the initiation of this film is stupid. It's a sweepstakes that he's almost certainly not going to win. Yeah. Will finally understands by the time he buys this truck that the little things actually can matter enough to be worth pursuing this way. That life doesn't have to all wrap together. Uh, there doesn't have to be this undergirding infrastructure to what makes people happy and you don't have to be a miserable pragmatist all the time like you know like kate and the older son who is definitely you're like odenkirk is kate's kate's kid yeah we haven't yeah. we, we never mentioned <laughs> odenkirk he's not he's not he's in not in it a whole lot he just shows up and gets angry a few times yeah he, <laughs> he shows up to be occupationally like a more successful but no better no happier version of, of will. will yeah and um it's okay for a dumb thing to make you happy. Yeah. Like that's ultimately Woody again as the Zen master Woody in this film is that it's, it's okay to have these trivialities not necessarily even mean something, but be worth pursuing. Um, and that again, that harkens back to the very beginning scene of the movie where he doesn't look behind him because there's no point in looking behind him. And honestly, he's really not even looking very far forward. He's kind of just looking where he's stepping. Yeah. Because that's what actually matters. That's, that, that is the point in which you live. And Woody lives exactly in the present. He lives exactly in the present where he's driving his almost brand new truck down the road. And so is almost everyone else in that town. Um, and again, I, I can see how once you look under the surface, even a little bit like Will Forte's ineffectual character, you could see that as being horribly depressing and a sign of a capitalist materialist society degrading everything. Or, or you could be Woody who has perfectly adapted himself to his environment in that way. Um, which again, as I just implied is totally unconscionable on some level. But Woody also was never in a position to change that. 
Woody is living in that world because that is the world in which he lives and no one person in this individualist dross that we live in, no, no one person's going to change that. So is Woody's position noble ultimately? Probably not. Eh, no, probably not. But is it good for the station he finds himself in? He's 70 years old, though. Yeah. So, In the Midwest. Yeah. Yeah. Drinking himself to death. I don't see. I I don't have a bone to pick with the way. Well, listen to me. It it, it wasn't the, the ending wasn't going to get any happier. No, the harshness of even of, even that winning a million dollars would have been a nightmare for him. No, no, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the I mean, the, especially with that family. By, by far the greatest one of the greatest moments in Nebraska is after they turn him down for winning the the prize money, where they offer him like the choice between a couple of seconds of the recording. I garbled here, but essentially the marketing woman offers Woody a hat as a consolation prize. And the fucking hat says prize, prize winner. winner over it. And it's like the fucking chintzy, the, the chintzy secondhand fucking way that the society treats people like him. You know, like if sincerity counted for anything in this world, it would be uh, a much more satisfying place to live in. But it doesn't, right? You mentioned the kind of like... Well, see, that's, that's, that's why you have the Lynch film to contrast yeah, okay, that. Yeah. Because it's like... The Lynch film, it, it, it it's in a it's in a time warp of 1996. Where like that movie, like everybody is so sincere in that movie. It's essentially a Disney film. Yeah. <laughs> and but two but two as well. Like the 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 starkest differences between Woody and 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 Alvin is that Alvin is insistent insistent on doing things his own way and on his own. And that's important for the context of aging as well, because why does Alvin keep smoking when he knows he's dying, right? Why does Alvin insist on doing this though it might, and I would argue at the end does kill him. Yeah. Um, why, 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 why? Because he, he does not very clearly in the film desire to become dependent on, uh, become dependent on others. And though that's why he, he endeavors this, this, this journey of his. It's why he resists help. It's why he insists on doing this on his own. Oh, his and own ideally, way. it will kill him. I mean, this is how he wants to go. And the way the film ends with him arriving, speaking, and then, and then ascending ancient-like <laughs> into the stars with his brother, right, demonstrates that very purely, right? Like he... He will not subject himself to the dependence on others, and Woody has not taken that hot, that that high road, so to speak, out. Right? Woody's Woody, wife has been controlling him his whole life. Yeah, Woody, like he he has very little agency over himself, essentially. Like, well, like he has forfeited it. Yeah, well, but that's what I mean. It's it's not even necessarily by choice. It just that's like just basically how his situation. Look, Woody quit his job and kept showing up every day. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. He. And this is the thing about getting old is that like to the point where you uh, you you live the point at which age has the the, the regressive infantile cycle to it right mm -hmm. born an infant die an infant and you know for you know for Woody um, that you have to bring in the kind of wider societal context because it has to relate Woody's dependence on his family to the wider dependence that he has on society as mm -hmm. well. And that's why the the contrast between the Woody's humiliation at the second the the second door prize of not winning the million dollars 
is the same humiliation that Kate and his family and the others and, and his son used to treat him like. Right? Yeah. Like his son, his family continues to treat him that way. Helpless, indignant, um, you know, uh, Looks lacking. Looks like he's a burden. Yeah, lacking agency. And, you know, Alvin couldn't live like that. In fact, he, he's insistent that he won't. And Woody didn't get there Woody's in been time. yeah Woody had been beat down his he whole didn't life get like there. he never he didn't, got there he tried to that's why he was drinking yeah. he didn't get there in time and i think that that i don't know well, it's if, even like his walking he knew he wasn't going to get there but like you know like he knew they were going to drag him back so it's like what it's whatever it's not like he was like Alvin where he's like making a stand like no i am going to walk and fucking retrieve this. It's just like just, they're just gonna fucking. Yeah. It might as and well just go. Whatever. And that's and that's why I think that's why I think Nebraska's a downer because he goes home. Like Woody lives in the end. Alvin doesn't. And I think that that's why the movie's a downer for me because he doesn't. That that moment. He'll have to. You know, he keeps. Living. I think life feels more hollow. <laughs> yeah, it keeps in, living in Nebraska. Yeah. Like life as Woody, where like life as Alvin. Like I said, it's it might be like. Poor in funds, but it feels like rich in like humanness. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. Like, and and so I mean, but I, I you know, don't get me wrong. You know, like it's not like you you hold it against Woody because you know you know. Or you, you be, can. Well, Kate well, does. No, let's, let's, let's bring this up too, right? So uh, was it Richard Farnsworth who plays him? Uh, actor? Plays Alvin. Yeah, uh, plays Alvin. Um, Richard Farnsworth did not have to so, quote unquote act a lot to play this role. No. Uh, Richard Farnsworth, former stunt, uh, former former ranch cowboy rancher, former stuntman, yeah. turned actor. Um, you know, went through a lot, uh, experienced all the travails that Alvin himself does. Yeah, he and, uh, he was fresh off a hip replacement and had bone cancer while yes. filming the Straight Story, so he actually. His hips were just as bad as Alvin's who, like during the shooting. Yeah, who after the film and kind of going through some publicity. Um, after barely, the movie released, yeah, he barely, killed himself. Yeah, barely a year later punched his own ticket. And, you know, that takes a whole level of dignity and commitment to to your pride and to your and to your self-dignity that is rare. And, you know, like we don't not, you know, it doesn't happen all that often. Yeah. And so. You know the wider the wider context of aging that these films both revolve around. I'm glad we watch them together, handle it in different ways because they're really the two models of aging, mm-hmm. right? One where you insist on your own way, and we even will go out earlier than you than you would have. But um, you're going to die on your sword, man. Yeah, but you're going to you're going to do this, and you're not you're not going to to suffer those indignities that that Woody is forced to suffer because he kept going. And in a weird way, man, like that's some that's some rough poignancy when it comes to the fact that you know, even for myself, it's not but forty years away. Yeah. And like that's, you know, as as that like just because good news is is I'm not more than halfway there ideally, right? Like, but then, you know, bad news is entirely up to you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Bad news is it's coming. Yeah, bad news is still coming. Yeah, still coming regardless (laughs) of how far away it is. And so, you know, I, I'm kind of I. So there's a couple other movies about old people that we could have watched as well, um, but I'm glad we chose these two because they're the the, the pre 9/11, post 9/11 dynamics wonderful in them. The the cynicism of one compared to the fucking just G-rated sincerity of the other. Um, both both form good contrasts with each other, and yet both have very both redemptive and yet cynical take to both yeah. of them. And I think that's like they're, they're both well done. I gotta say, I'm yeah, well they done. are. 
like I said, I did actually, I will admit, I did enjoy uh, Nebraska more than I thought I would on the second on the second viewing yeah. I wasn't feeling quite as like cynical about it no the humor the humor saves it and then uh, man I, I keep, like go, I said, I keep going just, back to like how said, fucking nice and good those random old midwestern people I, like they really shine through in my memory of the film as well I don't know what it is <laughs> just good folk exactly. so Alvin and Woody happen into a bar do they say anything to each other don't have to don't have to. I don't think so. Less said the better, David. I mean, Woody would agree, at least. <laughs> I don't know about Alan, but... In any case, um, where are we going from here? Well, we could always... We could always do some Lynch if you wanted to go oh, down that hole. and it's October, hole. and they've got the thing... Uh, the Kurt Russell thing movie. I love that movie. At that's, the Enzion. That's Carpenter, but um, it's a great film. So we could do a little yeah, Shocktober. Yeah, it's also October. We can do scary stuff. We can do Lynch stuff. We can do Cronenberg shit. Whatever. I say we just do wild at, wild as weird October. That's what I want to do. What does that mean, though? What do we got? Well, I wouldn't mind doing the thing with you guys if we wanted to do a movie crew hits the road tour. I mean, it's it's Carpenter again, but I fucking love that movie. Yeah, it's a lot of good stuff to talk. Have you seen the thing? Nope. Oh, David. And then um, I don't know. Let's just go from there. I mean, I kind of got shit last time for picking not a horror movie, so now I want to pick some of the most. I want to pick one of the most drastic, horrible fucking horror movies that I can. Uh, which would only serve you fuckers right for mocking oh, my pick of Young oh, Frankenstein no. last year. Oh, so. It was a comedy. Oh, oh you're gonna you're gonna say we're well, never doing this again when I get through my pick. Oh God, I'm sure I will. I'm so. We're doing Lars von Trier's Antichrist, you fuckers. What? No, I'm just kidding. What? I thought we were doing the thing. <laughs> that's one movie. We could definitely do that. But if that's my pick. I choose. I'd rather choose something else. What? No. So. um... When would we have to watch the thing? Uh, it's I don't know, man. It's, it's sometime in October. I think the second, third week in October. That's a while. Yeah, so we can do something before then. We're gonna do the Simpsons before then, aren't we? I could. I'd love We're to talk to you guys here. about the Simpsons. What? Uh, you guys can do it on your own. Do your own Simpsons thing. Just um, watch the the episode where he gains enough weight to go on disability for me. You got it. That's I my have, favorite one. I have such a vivid memory of him getting out of bed. In, in that. <laughs> Oh God! Oh. I remember the moo moo. The moo moo. Uh, oh. I remember so little about that, except that, and it's just in my brain. He like thinks he's Marlon Brando, and and he's like thinking he's all sexy, and Marge is just like, frankly, I'm just not finding you as attractive as I used to. <laughs> I love that fucking show, man. It's it's a, suburban a, travail. Those are, those are peak Simpsons, peak television. I'm so tempted to try to talk about Breaking, or not Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul Season 4. I know I'm going to regret trying to do it, but I really want to. And we got a politics podcast, too, this month. Yeah, that's going to happen. Dylan wants to You guys to are politicking? What? Yeah, we might as well. You. It's been two years. Okay. Yeah, love to okay. have you. There's an election coming up. Okay. That I've, you know, I'll probably make predictions that will imminently fail come. Well, your like Gilliam one day. worked. I'm a fucking back. I'm, that's my horse. I'm backing him to the end. Look, we were right last time. Yes. Verbate, to quote, to paraphrase quote, all that's going to happen on election day is that a bunch of people are going to show up. Some are going to vote Democrat. Some are going to vote Republican. And some number of million are going to vote for the other person mm-hmm. more than 
<laughs> yeah, so... I mean, we were right last time. Okay. Someone uh, did win the popular vote. I agree. And, <laughs> and I got to tell you. Thank I'm God for that. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to winning again. So being right again. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. We'll get into that. Dylan wants to talk about daydreaming for some reason. So we'll do that. Okay. I'll be on the road. I'll probably bring the gear with me because it'll be road tripping. Yeah. We're road tripping a little bit this weekend. Yep. All right, guys. But so yeah, case. we'll come back. We'll come up with something. Like I said, we can do something strange and wacky and ridiculous. It's it's Halloween ish oh, season. Like the thing. I don't know if that qualifies as wacky. I've never seen it. John Carpenter. It's like a sci-fi horror movie. It's good uh, shit, man. It's it real is good. good. I mean, it's, it's, good it's great. And that's what I've heard. That's the thing. I'd rather because you guys are because Nicole hates Lynch. Um, the only, I, listen, the o- I was open. I would do Lynch. I'm just, I just don't want to get stuck talking about like some fucking paradoxical bullshit about Mulholland Drive. It's just a lesbian movie. Okay, so when, um, when the only movie that you seemed uh, uh, willing to cover was Dune, um, which I'll be happy to do as long as we don't talk about the fucking book. So uh, that's my constraint. I'd be happy to watch. I'd be happy to watch the uh, the Lynch's Dune. With I you like guys. Lost Highway. I can. I, I can do. It. I don't want to like talk about the plot at all if we watch it, <laughs> but I'll watch it with you. That sounds great. That's a, <laughs> that's a deal and a half right there. Because I can, I don't know what the fuck's going on in that movie anyway. So. <laughs> I don't think we're supposed to. In any case, I'm going to shut this off. Nicole Ryan, thanks for being part Thank of the Imagination Log. Good morning, everyone.